welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Jeff Sargent shares a story about freedom from addiction. I, uh, I grew up in California in a town, uh, Manteca, and it's, it was about 25,000 people, and in 1985, I graduated high school, so that's like 30 years, so I thought, you know, we're this lame jacket that I hadn't worn in so long. It's like a relic like me. But um, so I was a pretty squared away, and that's kind of a military thing, but a pretty upstanding kid. I was raised Mormon. Um, Any of you know anything about that church? Uh, It's pretty strict, to say the least. Um, A lot of rules. And wait, yeah. Cheers. I'm the only one that had a beer on stage, by the way, so it should be extra points. So um, I was, as you can see, you know, all into sports, and I was a very good with grades, everything, graduated near the top of my class. Um, but shortly after I graduated high school in 1985, I passed out in the hallway of our house in front of my mom. And she freaked out. And the reason I passed out is because I had an, an, an addiction that I was trying to hide from my parents and everybody else. So I was 17 years old. Um, so they admitted me to Stanford University to the, a special part of it that treated addictions. And I stayed there for about three weeks. I started to feel pretty good after a couple, under constant supervision and all these group therapy and all this stuff. Um, But insurance money for addictions wasn't very good back then, and it's probably not much better now. Um, So after three weeks, I had to leave. I was like, you're done. And uh, so I continued a little bit of, of, of therapy after that, but I was still pretty much, you know, determined to keep on with what I was doing. Um, So my parents were like, there's no way you're going to go away to college. I was going, supposed to go to Brigham Young University in Utah to study accounting. I was like, that was my thing. And of course, I was supposed to go on a mission when I was 19 for the church, which I was all, you know, like psychologically, I guess, brainwashed to think that was the right choice in the life for me. Um, So I wasn't going to go to BYU, and I was like, shit, you know. Um, Well, I'm going to go to this community college here and study accounting there. So I paid the $50 tuition. At the time, I was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar. Um, (laughs) No, wait. (laughs) That was an 80s song. MTV was actually good back then. Um, (laughs) It was pretty good. I remember when it came out. But um, it was there. I was like, the one thing we could do was watch MTV, and I was felt like a little criminal at home, you know. But um, so I started college, and I was doing really good, getting all A's. And um, I don't need to wear this jacket anymore, I guess. Take it off. Um, so I was getting all A's, doing good, and then somewhere around Christmas time, I met this girl and. Had a girlfriend now, and she was awesome. Um, 
And I started working. I was working at McDonald's. And I was the maintenance guy, which basically means I took out the trash, raised the flag, and washed windows. Right? And um, so I'm doing this. I start college. I'm going, and everything's fine. And then um, I was still having these addiction problems, and my parents were, frankly, quite sick of it. It was affecting them. They were very religious people. You've got to understand and they didn't want it in their house. My mom was all into tough love. That was like a big thing back in the 80s. And so they were like, you got to leave. And I was 18. And I was like, all right. So I didn't have money. And my brother was probably pretty happy about that because we shared a room the whole time growing up. So he's like, score. Jeff's got a waterbed. I get it. Like, what, hap- <laughs> what happened to waterbeds? Like, back, remember? Back waterbeds were like, if you had a waterbed, like, clap. Like, anybody. I don't know. <laughs> they are pretty, pretty... Except my parents were cheap, so I couldn't heat it, you know, so that was like really suck. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I had to, it was like you could draw a line between the middle of our room, like FEMA disaster zone and Jeff's side. Like that was kind of like it. And so I had to go and I didn't have anywhere to go because I had my little Subaru. And so I found some friends in the church. They let me come stay. Love these people. They were really wonderful. Took me in as a family. I stayed there for a month and going to school. And so I was like, I don't know, remember the exact circumstances, but I got my mom to let me come back. I'm still having problems, you know, with addiction. And um, so around the time next year started, it was like springtime. I was like, I got to get out of this house. You know, I dropped out of school at that point because I was paying more attention to the girlfriend and started working at a convenience store and was putting in hours there. And I was like, my studies were dropping. So I quit school, started working full-time, and I was like, my life's going down the toilet, you know? Here I was, this ready-to-go-to-college kid, and I decided I was going to join the Army. I was like, that's it. I'm getting out of here, and they'll give me college money, and I'll just do my thing, you know? My parents didn't have the money to help me. So I went to the Army recruiter, and they took me down to Fresno, California, and I was like, you know, this will be no problem, really, and I qualified on everything until I went to see the medical doctor, and her her nickname was the Dragon Lady, and if if you've been through the military, you know, Thomas knows, you go in there and you get checked medically, and they make you, like, basically squat, cough, turn around, bend over, and, like, she did this all day, you know, and so it was, like, I can imagine why she was probably not too happy about her job, but anyway, my medical records were had to have made available, and since I had that stint in that hospital in Stanford, uh, that kind of came up, you know, and so they said, nah, you can't come in. You come back six months and you show improvement, we'll see what we can do. And so I was like, all right, I got to do something. And so you guys are probably wondering, like, what the fuck is wrong with what this guy's doing, you know? Like, he's a, you know, jock, stellar student, Mormon, going to be missionary kid, and he's got issues with substances. Well, the substance that I abused um, wasn't what you would think. It wasn't drugs or alcohol or any of that. It was actually only affected a very small percentage of males uh, at that time. 
in the 80s. Um, but I, I, the substance I was addicted to was food. And I became anorexic at a very young age, around 15. I stopped eating. And I dropped from about 157, 160 pounds down to about 120 when I passed out in front of my mom. So I was pretty small. I mean, I'm about 155 now, so you can imagine me like 30 pounds lighter. It's pretty sad to see, you know. Um, so I, but I was determined I was going to get in the Army. I was going to do whatever it took. I put on the weight, and I was working out a lot, jumping rope and, like, whatever I could do to get physically fit and lifting weights and stuff and trying to put on weight. Um, basically, all I had to do is start eating, and I would gain weight. Uh, <laughs> so... I go back in November, and they let me in. Like, they say, okay, cool, man. You showed improvement. Um, so I get accepted into the Army, and I ship off to Fort Jackson, and I'm a private E1 uh, supply guy. And, of course, you guys know, and if you've seen any movies, Army food isn't really the best. Like, it's not going to make Virginia Pilots best of... 2000 whatever anytime like anywhere so this really you know like you can't with alcohol and drugs and cigarettes you don't need it to live you can walk away with food you have to face it every day right so that was really hard because every day in the army food really sucked and so it was like you know I would make myself throw up like that was I was bulimic at that point and for a long time. Um, and so I'm in the army, and this is kind of the deal, you know? I had roommates. The miracle is one, I didn't kill myself. Two, that nobody knew in this environment. Um, it's kind of strange, but, and I did really well in the army and in college. Like, I made E6, and I got a scholarship to go be an officer. And I was, like, this great athlete, and did really well in the Army, um, did well in college. I was a cross-country champion and selected as the number one ROTC graduate in the United States. All the while, I was really suffering with this illness on my own. Um, because you just couldn't bring that up in that environment, you know. Um, that's that's not the place to do it. Uh, it's just that culture in the military, and you know. Um, so I did really well in the army. I spent 20 years and retired as a major about five years ago. Um, but. That doesn't even, like, mention my personal life. I was married twice within all that time for a total of about 17 years. Uh, my first wife, I met, we got married three months after I met her. So you talk about moving in with the roommate. Like, we were married three months after I met her. Like, the day after her divorce was final, we got married, you know? Like, and part of it was, like, because when we met, she was asking about my past, you know, of course. And... She found out I was Mormon, and she got interested, and so she was like, I want to do that, you know? And I was like, damn, I thought I was done with that church, you know? <laughs> and so she got into it, and she's like, no more sex, you know? Of course, till 
we, we get married, so I'm like, fuck. All right. <laughs> it sucks. So, of course, I had started going back to church, and we got married, like, as soon as possible. Because I was like, <laughs> we lived in this little trailer. But, and, of course, she had started to purge food because she had issues with that in the past somehow. That was kind of weird how we connected. But, I mean, imagine that most screwed up date. Hey, let's go to McDonald's and, like, go eat and hit the bathroom. You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) This is shit I would, you know, do. I mean, uh, yeah, it's really, really wild. So, um, anyway, that marriage, we had, within two years, we had two kids. She had two kids when I married her. So, within two years, I was 24 Four kids, bulimic in the army E4. Like my life was not the greatest, right? I shouldn't have got married that young, that quick, all that. So that marriage ended for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, me with my illness was not really the main contributor or anything, but it certainly didn't make things nice um, for the whole situation. Uh, I married, got married again this time to an Italian woman. Met her in uh, Italy when I was stationed over there. Um, Seven years with her. She didn't know anything the whole time. Seven years married. She just thought I had like a freaking hummingbird metabolism and I really liked her food, you know. But, I mean, daily I would eat and go to the bathroom and, you know, do that. Um, It's just really weird how we use that to push our feelings and use food as a mechanism. So... I retired in 2009, and then I spent about five years as a government contractor, and um, that ended back in 2014. I spent about a year and a half over in Abu Dhabi and Dubai working over there, and like, you know, go to brunch over there, and it's like the worst thing you could put a bulimic in is like the the crazy food and all this. So it's you really can't get away from it. So here, you know, that ended, and this comes to the, like, the end, ending part of the story. Um, around 2011, I started practicing yoga, and, you know, it was, it had tremendous benefits for me, personally, um, and in 2012, I went on a yoga retreat to Costa Rica, and this magical place down there. It was really wonderful. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but yoga became a daily practice for me. And, you know, there's kind of a lifestyle with that. Uh, not the not the way left side of it, but it's just you got to treat your body good, you know. You got to take care of yourself. Um, non-harming is one of the main things about yoga that you got to, like, just adhere to. So I was really in conflict with trying to, live this lifestyle and but I'm killing myself really and um, so I decided I wanted to go to yoga teacher training eventually at some point just for the personal benefits it would give me um, and it just didn't I didn't have the time with school or with uh, work and travel I traveled a lot for work when I'm going around teaching um but the contract ended in Abu Dhabi in 2014 of last year. And that was like my bills were paid off. I had to stay outside of the United States anyways for tax purposes. 
Um, yeah, that's kind of a cool thing. You can work outside and kind of hide from the government for taxes for a, little, for a certain limit, and it's totally legal. It's not like you're doing anything bad. It's just the way it is. Um, so that was my chance to go to teacher training, and I went back to Costa Rica last year. Uh, on June 22nd, I flew down, so it's almost a year since I flew to Costa Rica and, and entered the training program, and I spent a month going through this intense training. It was very you know, a transformational thing for a lot of people. I was with 23 women and me. <laughs> and the rules were no alcohol, no smoking. And if you've been in Costa Rica, you know that could be a challenge. And um, no sex, of course. So I did pretty good, like, adhering to all those rules. Like, well, perfect. I didn't do any of that for, like, a month, you know. It's, so I should get like extra points for that in yoga heaven or something. Um, and I, but this made me think, I'm going to be a yoga missionary, not a Mormon missionary, but a yoga missionary by being a teacher. So I was like, that's cool. I'll still be a missionary somehow. Um, and so I get done with that training, and a lot of people are sharing their stories, but I hadn't. I knew I had to get done with this. I knew I had to share my truth with the world, and I didn't. It just didn't seem the right time during then. And so I'm get done with that training, and I was sitting on the beaches doing nothing for like a week. And there was another training that started a week later, and I was like, I can't just F off for three months more while I'm sitting here. So I, dummy me, got in another training, and it's like, oh, I mean, it's all day for a month. And it's pretty strict and whatever. We had to do a lot of circles where we sat around talking about the chakras and all this stuff, all these blockages that we get within ourselves. And it, all these girls, they love to talk about all their problems, you know. So this one, there was two guys in there. And they, so I had like, all right, dudes, we got dudes now a little bit. But there's all these girls, and they love to just talk about all this emotional stuff. And there was like so many tissues and Kleenexes. And like, <laughs> I just was like, I didn't have, like, I got to be, I was like, you know, I just didn't want to, like, steal the floor or whatever. I, mean, I, was like, I wanted to share, but I knew that I couldn't finish the training until I shared my story. Like, I couldn't. I had to. It was part of, like, I had to do it. To be able to be out there and to be a teacher, I had to be able to walk it. So it gets towards the end, and we each had to teach a 45-minute solo class to the group. And I was picked to go last, of course, because I was the experienced guy, because I had a whole, you know, month of the training before. So I'm last, and then the, the last week I didn't sleep because I knew what I had to do. I had to tell all these people my truth. And so the last day is coming up, and it's pouring rain in Costa Rica, and it's so cool, like monsoon. And I go down the yoga deck, and I'm just really just a total wreck what I was about to do. is basically come out of the closet to anybody. And... So I'm down there, and I'm putting on some music that I like. I'm playing, like, The Cure and stuff that I dig. You know, it was, like, nice. And uh, I'm feeling good. I'm meditating. And so I s- the time came to start in the afternoon. Everybody filtered down to the deck. And I'm sitting there, and everybody's sitting there in the quiet and looking at me. And I just, like, told them, like, look, I got to share something with you guys. And I told them. I was like, this is my truth and everybody's freaking crying and 
It was pretty emotional. But at that moment, I felt freer than I've ever been in my life. Um, it was like this huge weight was lifted off me that I was carrying for 32 years. Um, and I would say a shit ton is the heaviest of the tons. <laughs> it's a lot heavier than a fuck ton, all right? There's shit ton and fuck ton, but a load is heavier than a shitload. It's just how it works. I don't make the rules, but basically the shitload is the amount of weight that just got lifted off my shoulders. Um, I just, so I don't know if the sun shined that day, but it was never as bright as it was for me at that moment. And I would say to you this, that if there are things you're struggling with, get rid of it now because life is really short this is not a dress rehearsal take the opportunity look for the opportunities to be free and to help others and that's it love and light (laughs) that was Jeff Sargent sharing his road to personal freedom thanks Jeff for telling your story I'm Deb Markham, and you've been listening to Tell Me More Live. If you'd like to join us at the live event or help out in any way, visit tellmemorelive.org, where you will find our online submission and contact forms, a schedule of upcoming shows, and more storyteller podcasts. Thanks for listening, and remember, a happy ending always depends on where the story ends.